Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman, the Intuitive RD. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating coach. My mission is to help women recover from diet culture and heal their relationship to food and body. Follow along as I speak with leading professionals in the field and explore concepts of intuitive eating, health at every size, and body liberation. This episode of Intuitive Bites podcast is brought to you by my online intuitive eating courses. Take your food and body healing journey to the next level with these self-paced online courses. If you're brand new to this topic, check out my Introduction to Intuitive Eating course. If you're looking for something more comprehensive that talks about body image healing, health at every size, and intuitive eating, check about my Food Freedom 101 course. And if you're a professional in this space looking to learn more about how to do this work with your clients, but also how to do this work for yourself, check out my anti-diet approach course for professionals. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Intuitive Bites. Hi guys, welcome to episode 63 of Intuitive Bites. For the show this time, I'm talking with Shira Rosenbooth, who you may know from Instagram as the Shira Rose, and we're talking about her experience in eating disorder treatment. Um, So Shira has a really unique perspective on um, the harms of the current state of eating disorder treatment. And she kind of gives her two cents on, you know, changes that can be made to make it more inclusive um, and, you know, less problematic and ultimately more helpful. Um, so I'm really excited to share this with you. Uh, I know it's been a while since I've put an episode out. I've kind of just been in a bit of a transition period, um, which is a really good thing, uh, but it's also meant that my energy and attention has been elsewhere. Um, So I'm hoping to get back into some more regular episodes, uh, but this will be a really good start. I also wanted to let you guys know, first of all, my book is officially out, so it's called The Intuitive Eating Plan. You can get it on Amazon, um, or you can also go to my website and order it from there. Um, So that's super exciting. Also want to let you know about a couple other offerings I have right now. So I've been, you know, really brainstorming how I can offer things to people who might not be able to do one-on-one coaching. Um, I really want to make this information um, and this healing work more accessible. So I'm doing monthly $10 intuitive eating and body image Q&A webinars. So they're really like bring your questions, connect with other people who are struggling as well um, on this journey. I think that alone can be really helpful just to see other people asking questions about the stuff that you have um, and then get those questions answered. So it's 10 bucks. I'm doing it every month um, for now. So you can register for that by just going to the link in my bio on Instagram. Um, So my Instagram is the intuitive underscore RD, like registered dietitian. Um, And you can register for those there. And then the other thing I'm just starting to offer, so I'm going to see how it goes and go from there, but it's a three-week mini group coaching program. So it's literally three weeks, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern time, one hour. And my goal is to bring 
a lot of like the uh, the work that I do with my one-on-one clients into this group coaching setting. Um, a lot of the clients that I work with, I end up working with um, for at least a minimum five weeks um, or five sessions, I should say. I usually do them every other week. Um, but yeah, so it's I'm bringing that like kind of foundational core work to this mini group coaching series. Um, so anyway, really excited. I think it's it's perfect for someone who really wants more one-on-one attention, um, but hasn't been able to do that yet. Um, it's $90 for the three weeks. And then you can add on like a one-on-one session with me for an extra $40. Um, so that's a lot cheaper than I, I usually charge for sessions. So it's it's kind of just an add-on if you want a little bit more personalized attention. So you can also go to the link in my bio on Instagram to register for that, um, or just reach out to me on Instagram, send me an email, theintuitiverd uh, the at gmail.com, um, and I can get you set up for that as well. Okay, that is enough of an intro, I think. Um, so I'll, let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Shira. All right, Shira. So I would love to start by just having you introduce yourself a bit and just like a little about the work that you do. Of course. So I um, live in New York City and I, well, I actually live in Brooklyn, sorry. <laughs> and I have a practice here and obviously through quarantine, I'm seeing everyone virtually. Um, my practice is very um, health at every size and fat positive focused. Um, and I treat clients with eating disorders, disordered eating and body image concerns. Um, and my own struggles with my, you know, my, with my own eating disorder recovery kind of inform my practice and mm-hmm. just, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am like super excited to chat with you a little bit more about just like the mess that is eating disorder treatment <laughs> in diet culture. <laughs> I feel like that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. can I just get your initial thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think it's so tricky because I, I don't want to make people scared to get treatment if they need treatment. Obviously that's so incredibly important and people do get really good help sometimes, but I also think that it's just unfair not to talk about these things because if we don't talk about them, then how are they ever going to change? And it's, and also to be honest, you know, I have, I know I have clients or I have friends that went to treatment in thinner bodies and their experience is kind of polar to my experiences. And so I feel like we need to talk about these things. And I also just don't want to, I don't know if somebody needs treatment, I don't want them to just yeah, be, be afraid. Um, but yeah, the reality is that diet culture is everywhere and that includes in treatment centers. Um, people, I mean, people who haven't worked through their own biases include therapists too. Like no one it's, it's, you know, we're not immune to it. And so, um, just in my own experiences in treatment, um, through, I mean, I went the first time I was 14 and the last time I was um, 30. And I thought that things would be different when I went back to treatment years later. And unfortunately it wasn't. And my, my food intake looked very different than the people around me that were in their thinner bodies. And the comments, I mean, I remember walking into treatment on my first day of residential 
probably a year and a half ago. And my nurse looked at me and said, you lost how much weight? And so when I told her, she's like, and you couldn't do that in a healthy way. And it was just, and that was just like one little example of the things that I was told in treatment, um, you know, or, or being told like, don't worry, you're not going to gain any weight if you just stick to this meal plan exactly. And I was starving on that meal plan. So they're basically letting me know that I needed to micromanage my body for the rest of my life and keep it to a place where it wasn't happy um, to, yeah, to, to maintain recovery, which obviously is not possible because my body was not where it wanted to be. And so, and, and, and in that body, I was thinking about food and calories and weight and numbers like obsessively all day and all night because I wasn't where my body wanted to be. So yeah, like you were starving. Like it's just, it's so counterproductive. Like it's exactly, it's exactly the opposite of what you needed, you know? Right. Well, it was reinforcing my eating disorder and it was colluding with my eating disorder. So yeah. And I think um, people say like, oh, if you know, if you really want to get better, but, but I was going to treatment to get help. And then my eating disorder was being reinforced in treatment. So it's not really a matter of being motivated enough or wanting it enough. I never had the opportunity to, to get the skills that I needed, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So obviously you mentioned here, like some awful comments, you know, that were made. What, what other issues do you see, um, yeah, from your perspective of like how eating disorder treatment is conducted currently and like, yeah. What, what issues do you see, I guess? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the way they do the food in so many programs is pretty problematic. Obviously, there needs to be a minimum um, that people need to eat yeah. for, throughout all eating disorders, right? Because all eating disorders you almost always have a restrictive component. And so there needs to be a minimum, but I don't think there should ever be a maximum. So if a client is hungry, they should never feel ashamed or stopped from getting more. Um, unfortunately, I had a client just a couple of weeks ago that was in the treatment center I was in a while back and I, I thought they were doing better, but she apparently was um, making herself a grilled cheese and realized that her sandwich just needed another piece to cover the rest of the space. Cause it was, I think it was sourdough or something. And she asked to put an extra piece in it and they said no. And I was thinking she was doing an amazing job of realizing like, Oh, like this is what my sandwich needs and being intuitive and beating, being just really healthy about it, doing the opposite of what her eating disorder would tell her. And then she was encouraged or she was discouraged from doing that. And so the fact that these things are happening in treatment centers, the fact that people are weighing and measuring like every ounce of their food, like all of that. And, and it just gives you the message once again, that you need to be micromanaging your body, which is so counter recovery. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a good point that like, there's no reason to be having an upper limit with food, right? Like, like yeah. it, obviously it makes sense to have the minimum, but there's what's the reason to have the upper limit you know and so especially considering that people in recovery like as they're healing need a lot more and like and like getting them in touch with what their body's telling them is the whole point so exactly yeah. my friend was telling me she's a dietitian at another treatment center yeah. and she had a client who wanted for every snack they wanted a a muffin and so and I think one time they said, can I have another one? Mm -hmm. And the counselors in the room were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this person's binging. Like we have to stop them. And the dietitian said, if they were in a thinner body, would, would this even be a conversation? And guess what happened after three weeks of this client eating a muffin for all of his snacks? Obviously, a few weeks later, they're like, mm, I want something else. Right. Because they gave them that permission in the first place. Like it's not that complicated and we're making it complicated because right. that phobia is in the mix, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. There's like just the fact that there's not an understanding of that like food habituation, right? Like that that idea that like if you 
have something like a lot and you have uh, access to it, like in time, you'll kind of want something else. Like that's naturally what happens. Like to not have an understanding of that in an eating disorder facility is just like, doesn't, it's just crazy. It's wild. Right. And the only way that the client was able to get to that place was by getting that full permission. Yeah. Yeah. That full permission is so powerful. I want to backtrack to something you mentioned a couple minutes ago mm-hmm. about every eating disorder having a restrictive component. So I just like would love for you to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think that we, when we think of restriction and eating disorders, we think of anorexia. And then we think of like bulimia or binge eating disorder to be the, the, the you know, lower down in the hierarchy, which is so upsetting. Yeah. Um, and I, there's two pieces to it. First of all, if somebody, I mean, people people think that people with binge eating disorder have, you know, a lack of control and that's their problem. But the reason for the binging is so often more than not because they're restricting and it doesn't even have to be actual restricting of food. Like it's not just about not eating the food, but if someone's eating and they're feeling guilt and shame around that, that mental restriction is just as powerful as actually restricting. And that's, that continually just drives that cycle of, of binging and restrict binging. Um, and so we think of anorexia as the restrictive eating disorder, but all of them have that component. And the only way to true freedom is again, that full permission piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I also want to just like mention here because many of the people that listen to this podcast, like my audience are, um, you know, they're on, they're, they're more like in the disordered eating realm on this okay. scale, but I feel like every, like everything you're saying applies, um, and translates as well. So like this mental restriction, I feel like is so common for people. Cause they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I haven't really been dieting. Like I let myself eat all the foods, but like, why am I, you know, quote unquote overeating or eating past fullness all the time. And it's like this concept of mentally restricting and like having that guilt and shame when you're eating, or even just like having perceived limits to like the appropriate amount of yes even if you're allowing yourself to eat the ice cream or whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. yeah I think that portion sizing gets so confusing again because you're looking at an outside set of rules to tell you what your body needs but no one can do that for you besides for you so yeah like deciding like oh I should only have this amount of ice cream or this many cups of whatever but maybe you want more And, and, and maybe you're hungry for more maybe just it tastes good and you want more and either way it's okay yes oh Definitely. So Shira, like, what are your thoughts on what would make the current situation with eating disorder treatment better? Like what shifts do you see like would, that would be helpful? Yeah, I think um, the, the first thing that needs to happen is that people that are working in treatment centers, it's not just about the training for health at every size. They need to be doing their own work on their own internalized fat phobia and their own biases. I think the struggle is a lot of people that work in treatment centers, there's kind of a really high turnover rate. And so it could be hard to get that training in, but we're talking about the most like vulnerable population, people that need to go get a higher level of care because they can't be functioning, you know, day to day with their eating disorder. And so we need to make sure that these people are, are properly educated around health at every size. And we need to make sure that these people are fat positive or it's not safe. And the other piece is, this is, you know, fat phobia harms everyone. It's not just about our fatter or larger clients. Mm-hmm. It's our thinner clients we're perpetuating the idea of like, oh, no, no, you're not going to get fat. That's so awful. That's, that's not going to help them either. So nobody wins thin or fat when it comes to fat phobia and treatments. So we really need to be making sure that our, the treatment spaces are, are really fat positive if we really want to do no harm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, it's like really when you think about it and you have this knowledge of the harm of weight stigma, like telling an eating disorder client that like, oh, you're not going to gain weight with this and like reassuring them is also reassuring the fact that like, yes, it's 
it's something like weight gain or being in a larger body is something to be afraid of. Like, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was 21 and I was in treatment for the last time before this cycle. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, we, they did this body tracing exercise where they would put people on the, they would tell people to draw their life size body of what they think they look like. And then they would actually trace them and show them, Oh wait, no, look, you have distorted body image. You're really not that fat. Mm-hmm. And the entire exercise was centered around being like, Oh, you're not that fat, which is horrific. And right. it was meant to show you that you were distorted. Um, but I remember being like the one large client in that room and thinking there was no way I was going to do that exercise because I knew that my body was going to look completely different to everyone's and it was mortifying to me. Um, and I remember being like forced to do this exercise and just like, I hope that treatment centers, I think more and more treatment centers are realizing that it's problematic, but I know it's still happening in some of them. I was just at a a talk pre quarantine when we could actually meet people face to face (laughs) and, um, I think the, the therapist, they were using that as an intervention. I was so just sad to hear that. Oh, yeah, it is. It's sad. It's totally sad to hear, like, yeah, some of the things that are still occurring. And then, like, there are some facilities that, like, I think are trying to do a lot better. Like, are you seeing that? Do you want my honest answer? <laughs> I do. I really do. Okay, so I was really excited to hear that some treatment centers are now marketing themselves as haze, and I was really excited to hear that maybe things are shifting in, in a positive direction. And then I found out that um, you know somebody, a, a treatment center that was marketing themselves as haze, doesn't even have accessible furniture for people in, in larger bodies. Mm. So they were going to spend the money in marketing to be haze, but not spend the money when they actually needed to for their clients. And that to me is really problematic because you're almost you're capitalizing on health at every size, but not standing up for it in actuality and practicality. So that makes me really sad. Um, or the, the treatment center that I told you about with, with a person with a grilled cheese, yeah. like that's in a treatment center that markets itself as haze. And so these are things that are happening now. And I know that things happen slowly and it's not perfect. And yes, there are some things that are, are changing and, and you know, the, this treatment center, they stop weighing and measuring their food, which I think is wonderful, but yeah. there's still limitations, which gives you the same message. And so, right. I don't know as much as I want to say, yes, there are treatment centers that are calling themselves haze. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how that's happening. Like, in actuality. Right. Like how they're actually practicing it. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, okay. I think I, we need to be honest with this though. We need to be honest with like the state of where things are and like what can be done to be better. Cause like, I wonder, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, unfortunately, a lot of the eating disorder organizations at the top, people are like the eating disorder researchers are also dabbling in quote unquote, obesity research and weight loss research. So a lot of them, they work in eating disorders and then they're funding Kerbo and they're funding Noom. And so no wonder our field has so much work to do. Oh my God. Such a good point. I saw your post. It must've been a day or two ago about Noom and I, you know, was horrified. (laughs) You know, I, I like, I, you know, go back and forth between, am I really horrified and not surprised or just like, (laughs) really, is this really happening again? Why? Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, for those, yeah, I guess for those who don't know what post we're talking about, I'll pull it up really quickly. Sure. Um, essentially it was about, okay, let's, here we go. Um, nope, this was not your last post. Now I have to go find it. Wait, was it just a tweet that you shared? 
it was a tweet, but I know that Maria shared it, so I can pull it up on hers if you okay, want. Okay, you're the best. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I found it. So it says, well, I said in my feisty tone as usual, <laughs> I said, I was today years old when I learned that Noom, the I'm not a diet, but I'll put you on less calories and appropriate for a toddler app, was created with input from eating disorder researchers. Oh, so. Yikes. Yep, there it is. So, oh, okay. More work, more work. Um, yeah. So... What is your advice for somebody listening who, you know, has, I don't know, maybe they're, they're considering getting treatment or something like that, but they're, you know, worried about it. Like what, what is your advice for that person? So my two pieces of advice would be to do research into the program you're going to finding, finding out, because there are treatment centers right now that have really good, strong teams that are health at every size. The problem is that the turnover rate's high. So you just want to do your research and find out at the time if, yeah. if it's a safe place to go and how they treat people in larger bodies, like those are good questions to ask. And then the other piece is don't be afraid to be creative with your treatment. So I know we all think of higher level of care as like the way to go if you're struggling and that's totally valid. And you can also do things like add a recovery coach or add in meal support, or there are so many things you can do creatively that don't necessarily look like the stereotypical version of getting a higher level of care. And that's equally valid. So I would explore that too. And, and in that case, you have a lot more power over who you allow into your treatment space. Totally. Okay. And then what about for professionals that are listening? Um, what advice would you give them to like learn more, I guess? I think my advice would be we, so all of us have good intentions. It's very rare that I think somebody is really out to be, to cause harm. Right. But if we don't think of the impact of our actions, then it's really not doing anything. And so we really need to think, how are how is what I'm doing going to impact somebody in a larger body? Which is why I think it's so important to think about lived experience because, you know, again, like you can have the intentions of, but I am health at every size, but not realizing that you telling this one client to eat less than everyone else in the room, how that's perpetuating a lifetime of, you know, not being allowed to eat. So I think that's one piece. And also just doing your own work, um, doing your own research, reading up on health at every size and fat positivity, doing your own work around biases and yeah, just always growing in that area. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And Shara, where can people find you online? Yeah. So I have a blog. Um, I, I guess I didn't say that in the beginning. It's a inclusive, um, I guess, body positive fashion blog. Mm -hmm. And that is, you can find me on Instagram, Instagram at the Shira Rose or the Rose.com. And then my therapy practice is Shira Rosenbluth, LCSW.com. And do you take people only in New York? So yeah, I'm licensed in New York. I'm actually licensed in New Jersey for the next six months um, because of COVID. But yeah, that's where I'm licensed to treat people. Awesome. So, so thank you so much for all, all you shared. I'm really excited we had to, we got to have this conversation. Of course. All right, guys, that is a wrap on episode 63. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to do my best to kind of get into some more regular episodes. Um, so hopefully I can stick to that. Um, but just a reminder about the things I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. If you're looking for more support, um, I'm offering my three-week mini group coaching series. I didn't even mention at the beginning of the episode when that starts, but it starts uh, July 24th, so very soon. Um, it's going to run for three weeks, one-hour sessions, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern to 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, so if you're interested in that, check that out. And then again, I'm offering um, my $10 monthly Q&A webinars 
Um, they're also an hour. They're, yeah, they're basically bring all your intuitive eating and body image questions and get them answered and connect with other people who are having the same you know, struggles on their journey. Um, so that is all I have for you guys. I hope you're having a good summer so far. I know it's a weird one, um, but I'm hoping that you're, you're getting outside and, and you're in a good place. All right, guys, I will talk to you really soon.